1 Timothy 2, verses 1-7. to Hear the word of the Lord. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. There are three options, and those are either zero, one, or more than one. Zero, one, or more than one. These are the options that people have tried to take. Uh, those, by the way, who believe in God. If we recognize that God is the creator, and we're creatures, we recognize a big distance. If we recognize that God is holy, and that we're sinful, we also recognize another great distance. So the question is, how can we bridge that distance? Uh, Is there a bridge? Are there many bridges? Or are we left to figure it out and to try to bridge that gap on our own? And when we uh, ask about how many mediators there are, these three answers came up 500 years ago in the medieval time, during the time of the Reformation, which is what we're remembering during the month of October. But those three options are still with us today. And so we're going to look at those three options, the option of zero, one, and more than one mediators in order to bridge the gap between us and God. If we go back to the medieval situation, we're talking about the Middle Ages and specifically about 500 years ago, the common posture in the medieval church in Europe was that there were many, there were, there were more than one, many mediators who, through whom we could go in order to get to God. Namely, the Virgin Mary and a number of saints. And all of these were presented as available to believers as ways to bridge the gap between us and God. The idea was this, that these saints had accumulated extra merit before God that they had worked harder than the norm, and they had not only done what they were supposed to do, but they'd done more than they were supposed to do, and so they had accumulated merit that they could share with us. That was the idea. Now, this wasn't official, but the corresponding vision of God the Father was that He was distant and angry, and He had to be placated by these saints going between us and God and helping us out. Uh, and the view of Jesus, and you'll see this in, in uh, medieval art, if the view of God the Father was distant and angry, the view of, of the Son, Jesus, was that he was, he was bloodied and He was beaten and He was pitiful. You find that uh, in medieval art, Jesus is dead. He's, he's, he's at the foot of the cross or He's on the cross. He's, 
He's not victorious. He's, he's lifeless. And so these combined, these, this vision of God the Father, this vision of, of Jesus, combined to leave people without a way to get to God. If Jesus is lifeless, lifeless, and if God the Father is angry, we need help. And that's where the saints and the Virgin Mary came in. Now, that may not be the, uh, the, the idea anymore, even in, in Catholic circles, but today we have a version of multiple mediators. And this is a popular version, not uh, just among those who, who have Christian backgrounds. The idea today is pluralism. And the idea is that they're all good. Uh, any sort of way that you want to choose to get to God is good. And it's a still the idea that there are many different ways. There are many different ways to bridge the gap between us and God. And this is the kind of the attitude, you choose what you like. It's kind of a very democratic Western sort of attitude. You choose what you like because all of them are good and any of them can work for you. Now, there was a reaction against this uh, in the medieval church and a reaction today against this idea of, oh, there are all sorts of options out there and you kind of just choose the one you want, they're all good. There were those in the medieval church who separated themselves from the general activities of the church. They went off to monasteries, they went off to convents, and they wanted to approach God basically on their own. They were going to meditate and they were going to pray and they were going to deny themselves and they were going to try to uh, cleanse themselves and get apart from all of the the wickedness of the world and that way they could could approach God as holy people. And so they were basically saying, not officially denying the need for a mediator, but, but in practice they were saying, I don't need one. I'm going to work on this on my own, and I am going to bridge the gap by my effort, by my meditation, my prayers, my devotion, and I will get to God without, in effect, a mediator. And this is probably, um, I don't know if it's the majority position, but when I talk to people, just people out in the street and people in the neighborhood and people wherever, uh, this seems to be uh, the majority position uh, if it's not the pluralism of anything can get you to God, uh, the other position would be, you can do it yourself. And as I ask people about their relationship with God, they basically say, I have this. I'm, I'm, I'm working on this. I'm a pretty good person. I'm, 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 uh, I'm spiritual. And, and I will be able to approach God. I'm confident of that. So, so those are the different options that existed 500 years ago and exist today. The idea of more than one, many mediators, any of them might work, or we don't really need one. We can approach God on our own. Now, now we get to our text and see what the Scripture teaches about the number of mediators that there are. In order to understand today's text, we should know that there were problems in the Ephesian church. And it's likely that Paul was writing to Timothy and sending him into the Ephesian church and saying, Timothy, clean up these messes, because there were some problems there. And uh, one of the problems was exclusivism. And it was probably exclusivism of a Jewish sort. The idea was that some of those from Jewish backgrounds were saying, these Gentiles are kind of ruining our church, 
And uh, we don't want those kind of people in our church. And, and God probably isn't really concerned about, about those kind of people, that kind of people. So we're going to focus on, on the, the kind of people that, that God's really concerned about. And we're going to pray for the kind of people that God really loves. And, and we really don't want those other kind of people to get in and, and, and mess up our church. It looks like they were refusing even to pray. And at first glance, it looks like Paul is talking mostly about prayer here, because in verse 1 he says, first of, then, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made. But as we keep going, we realize he's talking about more than prayer. But he's saying the first step is prayer. The first thing you need to do is to pray for all people. And what Paul does here is he repeats this word, all, six times in these verses. And we'll be looking at these alls. And his argument is this. Um, you need to pray for all people because God is concerned for all people. And he specifically included a group that was probably among the excluded people. Politicians. If you look at verse 2, so verse 1, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, and then he lists some particularly, for kings and all who are in high positions. Now, why those? Well, in those days, uh, the, 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 the kings and those who were in high positions were the Roman emperors and the Roman leaders, and they, some of them, were hostile to the church. So this is really striking that Paul would be saying, you need to pray for them, those who are, who, who are against you, even those you need to pray for. Now, we, um, we see that he then appealed somewhat to self-interest, because he said in verse 2, he said, for kings, all who are in high position, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And he's saying, pray for all people so that we ourselves might be able to pursue our faith, and particularly pray for those who are in high position so that we can live out our faith in godliness and in uh, dignity. Before we continue, we should probably stop and ask ourselves, what types of people would mess up our church? What what kind of people would, would make us uncomfortable if they started coming into our church? What kind of people would we not like to see here. We might not come out and say it, but if they started coming in, what kind of people would make us feel uncomfortable? And maybe even think, well, maybe I need to look for another church with people more like me. Who would it be in your case? I meet lots of people as I'm out and about. Uh, I meet a lot of homeless people as I'm out and about. What if homeless people started coming to our church? I also meet some some wealthy people that are in businesses. And I was at a meeting with mostly doctors and lawyers and finance people this past week. What about if, if they started coming in? Or uh, what about if members of the NRA started coming in? Or members of Greenpeace? Or people with Trump stickers on their car? Or people with Hillary stickers on their car? What, what kind of people would, would we have trouble assimilating into our group? Well, if you can identify any sort of group, immigrants or uh, some sort of ethnic or racial group that, that you would have trouble having in your church, then the place to start is to pray for them. That's what Paul says. And he, he, he starts with those with which the people in Ephesus were having the most trouble. 
the politicians, the, those who are in authority and who were even against them. He's saying, if you can identify in your heart somebody that you would have trouble uh, worshiping with, somebody that you would have trouble sitting next to, somebody that you would have trouble loving uh, in your context, then the, the homework for all of us is to start praying for those people. And then he gives the reasons. Um, he says that all, 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 all. Pray for all, all who are in authority. And then he says the why. He says, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. And here he gives a couple of reasons. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the first argument. He says, why should you pray for all people? Why should you be open to all people? And the first reason is this, because God desires for all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's the first reason. Uh, and then the second reason is in verse 6. It says, if we go down verse 6, it says, speaking of Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for, what's it say? All, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So this, these are the two arguments. God desires all people to be saved, and Christ gave himself as a ransom for all. Now, what is a ransom? A ransom is a payment. A ransom is a price that is paid in order to rescue. It says God desires all to be saved. Christ has given himself as a ransom for all. Now, just parenthetically, we need to be careful not to construe these verses out of biblical context and assume that God's desire for all to be saved and Christ's ransom for all automatically makes everybody in a proper relationship with God. The reason we know that that's not the case is because even in this text, it says that God desires, in verse 4, all people to be saved, and then he says, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So who are those who are saved? It's those who come to a knowledge of the truth. So it's not automatically applied to absolutely everybody. And if we read through 1 Timothy, Paul is very clear in a number of verses, chapter 1, verse 6, verse 19, chapter 4, chapter 5, a number of different verses where Paul says, that those who stray from a knowledge of the truth will be destroyed. Let's look at a few of those. He says in verse 6, Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered into away into vain discussions. And then in verse 19 of chapter 1, he says, Holding fast uh, and a good conscience by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck, of their faith. So even in this text, Paul is in this letter, Paul is saying, not everybody will be saved, even though in some sense God wants people to be saved, that, that uh, not all will come to a knowledge of the truth. And in fact, some people will, apart, will, will draw apart from the truth, and that will lead to their own destruction. And so we need to be careful not to, not to read this in a, in a way that says automatically everybody's in, but rather, no. The desire uh, of, of those who are believers is that all would come in. 
and that we need to be preaching the gospel to all groups, even to those disfavored groups, even to those groups who might make us uncomfortable, even to those groups who are opposing us and who are against us. The emphasis here is that we should not exclude any from the offer of salvation as some of the Ephesian elders or leaders were doing. Now, in the middle of this, we find verses 5 and 6. And here we get to the question of zero, one, or many. Verse 5, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Paul reaffirmed the basic statement of faith of all Jews. And that is that there is what? One God. And so here Paul is saying that we are in alignment with what the the Old Testament says. We believe in one God and one God only. But then in addition, he answered the question of is it zero? Is it one? Or many mediators? And what's his answer? One. And now we'll look at why he says one. He says there is one. There are two requirements for a mediator. One is this. A mediator somebody who goes between, an arbiter, needs to be a person who can represent both sides effectively. If the person is representing only one side, that person may be a lawyer, an advocate for one side, but he or she is not a mediator. But Because that person is partial and is not representing both sides. A mediator needs to be able to put one hand on one side and another hand on the other side. And the Old Testament text that we read back in Job, chapter 9, that's what he was looking for. He was saying, I need to present my case before God, but I don't have anybody who can go between. I don't have anybody who is capable of reaching God and reaching me and bringing us together, bridging that gap. Now, Paul, in chapter 1, verse 1, he describes Jesus Christ, and he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So what he does in the first two verses, he places Christ Jesus on par, on the same level as God the Father. So in the first two verses, he's affirming that Jesus Christ is God. So, if he is God, then he can place, as it were, a hand on God. And he can represent God. But now look what he does in verse 5 of chapter 2. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The what? The man, Christ Jesus. And actually, there's no, it's not, there's no the in the original. It just simply says, a man. A man, Christ Jesus. So what has he said? In the first two verses of the letter, he said... He can place his his hand on God. He can represent God because He is God. And now he's saying He can place His hand on us and He can be in our place, in our shoes, and He can represent us. Why? Because He's a man as well. So the first requirement for a mediator is that he must be able to bridge that gap and we find that Jesus is the one who bridges that gap. The second requirement of a mediator is that he or she must be able to clear away any problems between the two parties. Not only does the mediator have to be able to represent both parties and relate to both parties, 
But if there are problems between those two parties, the mediator needs to be able to get rid of the problems. And if we read once again, verse 5, it says there's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. What was the problem? The problem was that we had disobeyed God as humanity. We had erected a barrier between God and ourselves. And that barrier needed to be torn down. And it needed to be torn down by a price being paid. Well, who had to pay the price? Well, the one who erected it. If humanity built the wall, if humanity caused the problem, humanity had to take it down. But now we have one who is God, one who is man, and as man, He gave Himself the perfect sacrifice in our place, the payment, the ransom. So what did He do? He took away the problem. So here we have these two requirements that He must be God and man. Does Jesus meet that requirement? He does. Let me ask you, does anyone else meet that requirement? No. There's not even a candidate. Some people talk about comparative religion and that there are all sorts of God-man myths, but when you go in and look at these, they, they, they fade away. There really is nothing like this. In, in the world. He is unique. He's the only candidate for being God and man. He's the only one. And then the second qualification, the second need, is that he be able to, to take away the, the problem that is between the two parties. Did he do that? And could anyone else have done that? No. And so what do we conclude? That this is why Paul says, and this is why Christians affirm, that no, we cannot approach God on our own because there's a problem there. We dare not approach God on our own because we have erected a problem and that needs to be taken away. And we built it. We can't take it away on our own. And so, somebody else needs to take it. So we need more than zero. But at the same time, we affirm that there can't be more than one because only one can put his hand on God, put his hand on us, and only one has given himself to take away our sins. For this reason, he said, the scripture says that he is the only mediator. Now, this, uh, in today's society, pluralistic society, people will accuse us perhaps of of being arrogant, of, of claiming superiority for the Christian faith, but that's not really the point. The point is actually the opposite. The point is that we were so bad off that we needed this sort of rescue operation. That we were, were, were in such a condition that we could not contribute anything. We were in such a sorry state that we needed for God to become one of us and to give Himself for us. So far from being a boast on our part, this is an admission of our, our desperate state that God would have to do this for us. That He would become a human and pay an incalculably high price for our rescue. This is why we affirm only Christ or Christ alone. Well, let's back up the last couple of weeks and put these together. So what have we seen so far? Where do we find God's Word? In Scripture alone. What, what is the, the motivation for God becoming man and giving Himself for us? It's, it's God's grace, His favor alone. And then the question of last week, how do we receive this salvation that Christ has given us and offers us? 
And the answer is faith alone. And so what do we have? The salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Let's pray. Our God, we could not have made this up. We could not have invented this story. In fact, nobody has. If we look around and look for a message like this one, we don't find it. We find that this message is unique, that satisfies all of our needs, that satisfies our need for somebody to stand between you and us, and satisfies our need for somebody to take away the problem that we have created. And so we thank you, O God, for Christ. And we pray for all of us that we would find in that one mediator the salvation that you offer to all men and women, and that we would receive it through faith alone, giving glory to your grace alone. And we pray this in Christ alone. Amen.